A very long time ago, there was a very senior civil servant who worked for the Queen Mother. He managed all her financial affairs and assets. It was an extremely important job because her son would be the next king and she had a lot of power in the nation. He was also a religious man. He didn't follow the same religion as most of the people in his country, but one rooted in the far north. In fact, he eventually negotiated time off to make a pilgrimage to that distant northern city where there was a temple to the god he worshipped. Being a wealthy and important man, he had a vehicle and a driver. However, this being 2000 years, give or take a century or two before the invention of the internal combustion engine, I'm talking about the Ethiopian eunuch in case you hadn't realized, it would still take him the best part of a month or more to get to Jerusalem. And then another month or more to get back because Jerusalem is, according to Google Maps, 2000 miles from Ethiopia. And so our civil servant arrives in Acts where we meet him puzzling over a passage of scripture. Now, we can't know whether he went all the way to Jerusalem to find an answer to this question or whether, and I can't help feeling this is more likely based on my own experience, he bought the book of Isaiah in Jerusalem. After all, given the distances, this visit to Jerusalem is probably a once in a lifetime opportunity. Imagine how frustrating it would feel to have traveled all that way and rather than finding enlightenment to be leaving with more questions. And of course, however rich and important the Ethiopian was back home, as a Gentile, he would not have been allowed be beyond the outer courts of the temple. And that must have been frustrating too. There's another issue which isn't made explicit because it would have been made so obvious back then, being a eunuch was actually quite problematic for someone who wanted to worship the God of Israel. Because Deuteronomy 23 specifically excludes men who have been emasculated from the assembly of the Lord. If the Ethiopian had access to the law, which I think is likely, he would have known that. So this Dear man, despite making a round journey of 4,000 miles to worship, would have been doubly excluded from full fellowship with the people of God. I don't know about you, but my Christian journey is sometimes not unlike the Ethiopians. Perhaps it is for all of us. We can live long, travel far, and experience all sorts of wonderful things, but still have questions in our hearts. Even scripture sometimes raises more questions than it answers. And who among us hasn't felt excluded at times? Other Christians are somehow in on a secret we don't understand. They seem to have a stronger faith, receive more answers to prayer, see more miracles. In our darker moments, we feel like we're traveling alone. We desperately need a guide. But this is a story about how God doesn't leave the seeker without a guide, doesn't leave the childless without a family, and doesn't distinguish according to class or race. God sends someone chasing out along the wilderness road with the answer to one seeker's question. 
Isaiah is not describing himself, but Jesus, the son of God, who suffered and died to set us free, to make us a new creation. Just a few turns of the scroll further on, the Ethiopian eunuch will read this. Don't let foreigners who commit themselves to the Lord say, the Lord will never let me be part of his people. And don't let the eunuch say, I am a dried up tree with no children and no future. For this is what the Lord says. I will bless those eunuchs who keep my Sabbath days holy and who choose to do what pleases me and commit their lives to me. I will give them within the walls of my house a memorial and a name far greater than sons and daughters could give. I will give them an everlasting name that shall not be cut off. And a man who could never have his own family discovers he is welcoming God's family. Previously defined by his function as a servant and his lack of function as a man, he is now defined by his relationship with his God. He has a new name because he is a new creation. It's no wonder he's excited, jumps down from his chariot and is baptized immediately. This is the tale of a life-changing encounter between two very different men on very different trajectories. One is a Jew, one is a Gentile. One walks and the other rides. One has been driven away from his home and the other is going home. But they are also alike servant-hearted and humble before God and other people, and most importantly, new creations in Christ. Philip wasn't one of the 12 disciples, yet once he's called to become a deacon, look how God uses him, sends him. People come to faith, churches spring up wherever he goes. He's described as being full of the spirit and wisdom. He steps up into his new calling. He becomes a new creation in Christ. Once simply a Jew with a Greek name, he becomes an evangelist to Samaritans, Ethiopians and Gentiles. The father, we discover later, of four daughters, all of whom have prophetic voices. And the Ethiopian, well, he is the first definitively recorded black African Christian. He is a courtier with a worshipping heart and although he now rides out of the book of Acts, 300 years later Ethiopia becomes the first country in the world to make Christianity a state religion. Did you know the world's oldest illuminated gospels are in a monastery in Ethiopia? The earliest dates back to around 530 AD it's thought they've never left the monastery where they were created. Isn't that remarkable? I don't think any of this is a coincidence. I think the Ethiopian went back home and had thousands of spiritual children. He became a new creation in Christ. You see, God loves diversity. Men and women, extroverts, introverts, leaders and followers, black, and white, the kingdom of God will be diverse, multicolored, and needs people with all sorts of backgrounds and gifts to build it. 
But God also draws us together by making us a new creation in Christ. He gives us new gifts to equip us and the body of Christ as he calls us to new things, things we might not have expected or even have thought we were capable of. Today actually happens to be Vocation Sunday, a day when we're encouraged to think about how God is calling us. Vocation is just another word for calling. But finding our calling or our vocation starts in humility, like the Ethiopian who was willing to admit he needed a guide, like Philip, who was first called to wait on tables. Only when we admit we can't make our way to God in our own strength, when we are prepared to serve others, does God use us in his kingdom. And God doesn't do waste. He is our creator and he created us with unique skills and interests. He blesses and uses these gifts when we lay them at his feet. I was a great reader when I was a child. My mum started teaching me to read when I was two years old. When I first heard God say the word reader to me a few years ago, it made me laugh because it was a word that I was constantly called when a child, often linked with the word little, as in, oh, look at the little reader, in a deeply patronising and annoying voice. I used to pretend I was deeply engrossed in my book and couldn't hear to avoid answering the stupid questions that would inevitably follow. But I love it that my official title now is a word that I associate with myself as a child because it reminds me that I need to become more like I was then, trusting my father, fascinated by what he shows me and always hungry to discover more. How might God be calling you? What skills has he given you? And how might he want to bless and transform them to use them in his kingdom? And what new gifts does he have for you to embrace? I used to write stories. Now I write sermons. But beware, really beware. Although we are called by God, that doesn't mean our path is easy. The devil throws everything at us to push us off course. And if he can't totally derail us, he tries to nudge us into living our lives as if what we do is what saves us. And we can break ourselves and others trying to be perfect, to do enough, to earn our own salvation. So let's remember the Ethiopian legally excluded from the people of Israel. Nothing he could ever do could change that. Yet Jesus suffered for him. Jesus died for him. God gave him a prize better than children. God gave him a place in his family and an everlasting name that could not be cut off. And the Ethiopian went on his way rejoicing. Just as he provided a guide for the Ethiopian, God provides a guide for us. His Holy Spirit will always be by our side as we go on our way too. So whether you're an evangelist or a worshipper, an engineer or an artist, a guide to the lost or a friend in need, whatever you are, 
God made you and God calls you. He calls us all into his new creation, the body of Christ, to bless the world. Now, we're going to get into breakout groups in a little bit. So here are a few questions you might like to explore. What gifts came inbuilt in you that God created as part of your unique human nature? And has God given you spiritual gifts since coming to faith? And what gifts do you still eagerly desire? Do you have a sense of what your calling from God is or might be? And if you have time, pray for each other. Thank God for your gifts. Pray for each other's callings or for them to become clear and pray for more of God's equipping. It's always good to ask God for more. And if you feel that God may be calling you into service in the church or into ministry itself, please come and talk to Jenny, Tim or me. We would consider it a great honour to come alongside you and support you as you explore that call. And if you, were, if you feel that you're called to be an engineer or an artist, we'd love to support that too. But we probably won't have particular expertise in how to do that. So we'll try to point you in the direction of someone who does. That's all from me tonight. I'm going to hand back to Alex now. I think I've talked for long enough. <laughs>